Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Irmo's weekly verse-by-verse Bible teaching. Join us now as Pastor David leads us through Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, teaching us about God's sovereignty over Israel. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time of worship. Father, we thank you for this January 1st. There's no better place to start off the new year than coming to church and, and, and worshiping you, celebrating you, and digging into your word, Father. Father, thank you for this time now. Let us continue to be an atmosphere of worship. Holy Spirit, we ask you to minister to hearts as we go through your word and strengthen us, Father, and help us to understand what we read. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, we're looking at a great subject this morning. We're looking at the subject of Israel, the nation of of Israel and I don't know but did anybody notice what's been going on in the news lately last Friday a UN resolution 2334 was passed against Israel the Jews and there's been a lot of news and there's been a lot of news about it and a lot of heat justifiably for the United States not stepping in and vetoing it it was really it was not good news but so Hopefully this morning when you leave here, you're going to understand what that UN resolution means. Because I'm teaching on the subject of Israel, and we're going verse by verse through chapter 9, 10, and 11, I want to give you context this morning. I want to give you context to Israel and help you understand who they are from the Bible, from Scripture. But I want you to understand who they are today. What's going on with the nation of Israel? For For most of us, in our lifetime, Israel's been in existence. But for almost 2,000 years, the name Israel was not in existence. They were destroyed by uh, Titus and the Romans in 70 AD, and Israel ceased to exist. And they were reborn, what year? 1948, May 14th, 1948. So what I want to do is I'm going to walk you through the history of Israel to give you context to who I'm teaching on so you understand what's going on with the nation of Israel from 1948 up into last Friday. So, here we go. May 14, 1948, the land of Palestine was annexed. It was separated out. The Arabs were given the West Bank, and they were given the Gaza Strip, and Israel was given the rest of the land that we know as Palestine. And they became a nation. The United Nations officially recognized Israel as a sovereign nation. But there was one group of people they didn't. They rejected it. And that was the Arab nations. Uh, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, all the nations, they, they, didn't, they didn't agree with the UN. But the United Nations uh, declared them to be a sovereign nation. So May 14th, 1948, it became a nation. Guess what happened on May 15th? The party was over after 24 hours, and Israel was attacked by Syria, by Jordan, and by Egypt. And miraculously, I wonder how, they defeated Syria, Jordan, and Egypt on the first day of their existence. How could that have been? How could that have happened? Y'all know the deal. They, they, They sustained. That was May 14th, 1948. 1967. The Six-Day War. This 1967, the Six-Day War took place. And basically what happened was Egypt 
decided to attack Israel with the help of Syria and Jordan. And guess what happened? Miraculously, again, this little Jewish nation of Israel, not only did they defeat Syria, not only did they defeat Jordan and Egypt, but they took control of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. That's what changed in 1967. The West Bank and the Gaza Strip, who had been given to Palestine, Israel conquered it by military force. And they took over the land, and they began occupying it. That took place in 1967. What year are we in now? 2017. They have been going there. They have been, they've occupied that land for 50 years now. That's very important when I get to the, when I get to the end. They've been there for 50 years. On August 29th, 1967, the, the Arab League Summit met, and they came up with a Khartoum resolution. In the Khartoum resolution, they had three no's. These were all the Arab nations. They came together in, in, in the north, northern part of Africa. I forgot the name of the country. It might have been Sudan. I'm not sure. But anyway, it was in Africa. They came together, and they came up with the three no's. The three no's were no recognition of Israel, no peace with Israel, and no negotiations with Israel. That's important because what's going on today? They are saying, you need to create a two-state solution. It ain't going to happen. Arabs in Israel, or the Arabs and the Jews, they're like oil and water. They don't mix. They don't get along. They don't like one another. They're just the opposite. But the UN had established Israel as a nation, but the problem with this was the Arab nations rejected it. They weren't having no part of this. And I'm really going to bring it home in a minute when I show you a map. But then, anyway, that was 1967. There's been about 50 wars. There's been so many terrorist attacks. I'm just giving you little snapshots. There was stuff going on almost every single year. 1978, Camp David Accord, with our, yours truly, Jimmy Carter. The Camp David Accord was signed by Israel and Egypt in exchange for peace. In exchange for peace, Israel... I missed that one part. In 1967, they had taken over the Sinai Peninsula. And all Israel wanted was land and peace. So Israel said, Egypt, we'll give you the Sinai Peninsula if you give us peace. And they did that. They did that. And that was what happened with the Camp David Accord in 1978. Fast forward to 1993. We had the Oslo Peace Accord, which really didn't do very much. But it was an attempt to establish borders between the Israeli and Palestinian settlements. If you look, if you know anything about the, uh, the West Bank, you've literally got uh, a Jewish settlement. When I say a settlement, a neighborhood with a Walmart and neighborhoods and mom and dad and little Johnny and grandma and grandpa all living together right next to an Arab settlement. So they're all intermixed together in the, um, in, in, in the West Bank. All Israel wants is their land, and their peace. That's all they want. They'll tell you that. They don't want to fight. But they're going to fight for their land. And they're going to fight for their peace. And they're going to fight for their establishment. So that brings me, okay. If you've been hearing in the news, how many of you been hearing the word settlement? What is a Jewish settlement? Let's look at the next slide. That's a settlement. It's a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood uh, of Jewish families with mom and dad and little Johnny and grandma and grandpa, and they go to school, and they go to their Walmart, and they go to a convenience store, and they're just living life just like you and me in our neighborhoods. 
That's what a settlement is. It's just a settlement of people. Now, remember, Israel took control of the West Bank in 1948. So from 1948 till now, there is 500,000 Jewish Israeli settlers living in the West Bank. That the UN said on December 23rd, UN Resolution 2334, it said, this is illegal. Where were you at 50 years ago? We've been living in the West Bank for 50 years. Since 1967, over 500,000 Israelis. Why is this important? You know, there's a major conflict going on over there between Israel, the Jews, and the Arabs. And let me tell you this, you're going to see in my message this morning, that this fight, this battle, did not start in 1948. It didn't start in 1948. It started in the womb of Rebekah. It started long ago, and it's been ongoing. And we're going to see that in Scripture. And this, stuff, this is important because, um, and this is one of the Calvary Chapel distinctives, God has a place and a plan for the nation of Israel. Don't mark them off. If you, when you study Bible prophecy, when you study Scripture and you study Bible prophecy, put the crosshairs on the nation of Israel because everything revolves around them because they are the chosen people from the, the Abrahamic covenant. God is not finished with them. He has a plan, and he has a future for them. And what is going on right now with UN Resolution 2334 is just flat-out wrong. It's just flat out wrong. Basically, the UN, in, in a nutshell, in layman terms, is saying, all you Jewish moms and dads and little Johnnies and Sarahs and grandmas and grandpas in your synagogues and your churches, all of you Jewish people living in the West Bank, you're illegal and you've got to go. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the West Bank, you have the Arabs living side by side. It's like putting a brother and sister who don't get along in the same bedroom and forcing them to stay in there. They don't get along. They fight. Whose land is it? Israel, it became theirs in 1967, and it rightfully so belongs to them. Not only by the laws of the land, because they conquered it by military conquest, but by God's word. Amen? Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And, and also, too, as, you, as, you're, as you're watching the news this week and all this stuff unfold in Israel, pull up the map the Arab nations. Come on, really? That little tiny red strip. And then the West Bank is just a little microscopic speck of that. It's their land. Let them have it. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 9, 10, 11. The basic layout, the big picture in Romans chapter 9 is Israel's past. Romans chapter 10 is their present, and Romans chapter 11 is the future. The theme of, of these three chapters is God's sovereignty over Israel. God's sovereignty over Israel. Chapter 9 contains some challenging passages that we're going to tackle head on. We're not going to steer away from them. Uh, verse 13 says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. What's up with that? What's up with this hating Esau? What are we going to learn? Verse 22 which we probably won't get to until next week, uh, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Boy, that's a big one. I have never heard anybody teach on that, but we're going to teach on it, and we'll get to it next week. But we're not going to steer away from these passages. We're going we're to hit them head on. So with that said, let's pray 
and we'll get into Romans chapter 9. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this time. And Lord, um, I just pray for your spirit to guide me and direct me as we maneuver through this passage. Lord, I pray for the listeners, I pray for the body, that um, out of this will come a deep love for Israel, for the Jewish people, and, and a thankfulness for your sovereignty. So, Lord, thank you for your word now as we dig in. Uh, fill our hearts on this first day of 2017. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Um, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, the first question we have to ask here is why does Paul have great sorrow and unceasing grief? Because Israel rejected their Messiah. They rejected their Messiah, and it's breaking Paul's heart because he is an Israeli of the tribe of Benjamin through and through. You want to talk about somebody who loved people? Look at verse 1. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Very strong statement here. And look at verse 3. He says, I wish I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brother. What's he saying there? I wish I was damned and going to hell for the sake of Israel. That's what Paul's saying there. Paul, the apostle, he loved Israel. He loved the Jewish people. He loved Israel. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the promise to them despite their persecution of Paul. In Acts chapter 14, they were at Iconium. Go back and read it in Acts chapter 14. It says, not the Gentiles, it says the Jews dragged Paul out of the city. They stoned him to death because of the message, the gospel he was preaching. They persecuted him. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes from the Jews. They persecuted Paul, but he loved them. He had a deep passion. When I read this text right here, this to me is the definition of real love. This is the definition of real love for people. I don't know if I could go so far as to say I wish I was accursed and separated. I don't, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I don't, I don't think I could go that far. But this, to have great sorrow and unceasing grief for his people who rejected, this is the heart of an evangelist. This is a heart of a man who knows the scriptures and he loves his Jewish brethren. And so should you and I. Question for you this morning. If you could brag about your family, if you could say one thing special about your family, what would it be? I, you know, I, I, think, I think about, you know, in service, in, in, in general, in life, I think about the Hyatt family. Kim has the awesome responsibility of bringing life into this world. Yeah, it's her job. She gets paid and, and all that good stuff. 
but she serves people by bringing life into this world, by bringing joy. She brings joy. What does Jim bring? He turns your good day into a bad day. But the bottom line is Jim is serving. He's serving the people of Lexington County by keeping law and order. People ask me sometimes when they meet me and they hear that my name is David Ford, they say, are you kin to uh, Henry Ford? Nope. How about uh, Harrison Ford? Nope. And then finally they'll ask me, are you, are you related to Danny Ford? And I'll be like, nope. And, and so they, they ask me those questions to see what I bring. But notice here what Israel's family, what, I asked you what makes your, speci- what makes your family special. What the question in scripture is, what makes Israel special? I was having lunch with a gentleman a couple months ago right down here at my drug of choice, Zoe's Kitchen. And I was explaining to him, and he was asking me, you know, what makes them so special? That's a big question. It answers it right here in our text. What makes the nation of Israel special? Look at verse 4. Who are the Israelites? To whom belong the adopts? First off, number one is the adoptions as sons. There was a point in time when there was no Jewish nation. Back when Abraham was in the land of Ur, before then there was no Jewish people. God called Abraham to leave Ur and go to the land of Canaan and to establish the Jewish people because God was adopting the Jewish people to be his vessels to bless the earth, to be his chosen people for the Abra- what we call the Abrahamic covenant. So the Jewish people, first off, they're adopted by God. Number two, It says, and the glory. The Jews, unlike us, had this weighty, tangible presence of God with them in the Old Testament. We call it the uh, Shekinah glory. It was there. It was visible. It was with them in the temple. It was with them when they were wandering in the desert. But they had the Shekinah glory, the, the weighty, tangible presence of God. But check this out. Me and you've got something even greater than that. We've got the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This part of the new covenant. But they, according to the text, and the glory. It says, and the covenants. And the covenants next. God promised to Israel, he gave them what we call the Abrahamic covenant. We'll break it down in a couple of weeks. But in a nutshell, the Abrahamic covenant has three parts. A promise of people, the Jewish people. A promise of land, that little strip of land, that little little red piece of strip we saw on the map, and and a promise of a kingdom that's going to come to this earth, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. The kingdom is part of the covenant promise. Next one is, and the giving of the law. Where did we get our Ten Commandments? From Moses, from, from the Jewish Old Testament scriptures, the Ten Commandments that govern our land, the Ten Commandments that show you and I why we need a Savior. The Ten Commandments came through Israel. And the temple service, they had these magnificent temples that were known throughout the land of how awesome and how great they were. It says, and, I love this one, at the end of verse 4, and the promises. The promises of God came through the Jewish people by what? That book that you have in your hand right now. That book that you're holding, that you're looking at, it came via Israel. 
It came via the Jewish people. 64 of the 66 books in the Bible were written by Jewish authors. Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts was written by Luke, who was a Gentile. But all the other scriptures written by the Jewish people. We owe them a lot. God has used that Jewish nation of Israel to bring salvation. They were the instruments to bring Jesus. They were the instruments to bring the Bible. They were the instruments to, um, to bless us mightily. But the number one reason, the number one reason why Israel is so special, what puts them at the top of the list, look at verse 5. Here it is, the number one reason. Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all? God blessed forever. Amen. In the Greek, where it says God blessed forever, it's literally translated the eternally blessed God. Who is he talking about? Jesus. This is one of the most powerful verses that point not only to the deity of Jesus, but to the humanity of Jesus he was God, eternally blessed God. He was God Almighty, but he came via in the flesh through the Israelites. God used Israel to bring Jesus to us. You could say without, without Israel, there would be no Christmas because no, Jesus came through the Israelites. They've given so much to us. They've blessed us so greatly. Now, I want to bring application to you. When you add Verses 1 through 5 together, when you see Paul's passion for the Jews and you see why they're so special, when you add those together, what does it equal? It equals our unending and devotion and love for the nation of Israel, our support for the nation of Israel. We owe them everything. We owe them everything because that's the instrument that God used. And God made promises to them that he didn't make to us, which was the Abrahamic covenant, a people, a land, and a future kingdom. You know, and check this out. God is not finished with Israel. He's not finished with Israel. You know, there's four don't be ignorance in the Bible. Let's take a look at them. Four, it's, it's, this makes for a great Bible study. So if you want to go home and study this, it'd be a great Bible study. But there's four don't be ignorance in the New Testament. And by the way, they're part of the Calvary Chapel distinctives. The first one is spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. We believe the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to minister in the body of Christ. Just like he did in the first century, he does today. He still does it today. Number two, don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes, 2 Corinthians 2, 11. There is a real Satan. There are real demons and they are out to destroy you. They're out to wage war against you. Don't ever think that this spiritual warfare thing is a fairy tale. It's real. And there's a battle in the heavenlies for each and every one of us. Number three, the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. The rapture. Don't be ignorant. Christ will come again. In the, the rapture, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven and the, the voice of our angels and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so shall we be with the Lord forever. He will come again in the rapture. And the fourth one that applies to our text, the fourth, don't be ignorant. Some of your versions will say, don't be uninformed, is Israel has a future. 
Romans 11.25. The opposing view to that is what we call, and we'll talk about that in the weeks to come, is called replacement theology. And there is a thing out there called replacement theology that basically says the church has replaced Israel. And for Israel not being in existence for almost 2,000 years, I could see how people can lean that way. But if you go by Scripture, God has a plan for Israel. The church, the body of Christ, has not replaced Israel. One day, when that rapture takes place, and he calls us home, the book of Revelation is God turning his attention back to the nation of Israel. But anyway, these are the four don't be ignorance. And number four is Israel has a future. Now, we know that Israel rejected the Messiah. We know that. We've studied, we've read the Bible. So the question then becomes, did God make a mistake? Uh-oh, maybe we need to go to plan B. Is something happened, something went wrong. Paul's going to address that here in verse 6. Look at verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. Stop right there. Does God's word fail? Never. God's word does not fail. It does not return void. It's his inspired word that goes forth. His his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's active, and it's faithful, and you can trust in every promise. Isaiah 55.11 says this concerning God's word. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed for that thing for which I sent it. Mom and dads, as you train your children in God's word, you rest in that promise. His word will not return void. They may rebel, they may go left, they may go right, but at the end of the day, as you plant God's word in their life, know this, it will accomplish its purpose. It will accomplish its purpose. Every time we use scripture, every time we talk about God's word, whether it's a witness encounter, counseling, or whatever, his word doesn't come back void. Never, ever, 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 ever. It doesn't come back void. So the question then becomes, well, when things go south, who fails? We do. We do. Because we're sinners. We live in a fallen world. And we blow it. But God's word doesn't fail. Human beings do fail. And what does God do in those situations for us when we blow it? He gives us grace. He shows us grace. Let's continue with that verse. The word of God doesn't fail. Halfway through verse 6. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Now, what we're going to do now is Paul is going give to give us two examples. I'm going to show it to you so you can follow. because You can kind of get lost in these Old Testament names and, and your mind will wonder. He's going to give us two examples to illustrate this point. That not everyone that comes from Abraham is of the promise. He's going to show us that. And he's going to give us uh, examples to show God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness. Let's look at the first example. Verse 7. He's going to go back to the Old Testament. Nor are they children because they are Abraham's, excuse me, 
For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, verse 6, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son. We have our first example here. Now, Abraham had other sons. We know that from Scripture. But who was Abraham's two main sons? Isaac and Ishmael. What does the Scripture say? What does God's Word say about Isaac and Ishmael? Let's look at those. Isaac, you're first up. Verse 7 says concerning Isaac, through Isaac, through that man, Isaac, your descendants will be named. Israel, the chosen people of God, would come through Isaac. It's through Isaac your descendants will be named. Israel, the chosen people, they will come through Isaac is what the verse is saying. And then verse 8, children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Through Israel came, as we talked about earlier, who? The Messiah. The Messiah. Children of the promise. That promise there in verse 8, it could refer to several things. It could refer to um, the promise of God's sovereignty over Israel, uh, God's faithfulness to the covenant. It could refer to, um, to, to the promise of the Messiah, I believe that promise refers to all of the above. His faithfulness to his covenant people. Second son, Ishmael. What does the scripture say about him? His name is not mentioned in this verse, but if you look at verse 8, it's implied that this is Ishmael. That is not the, cho- the, the children of the flesh is a reference to Ishmael. And what does scripture, what does God's word tell us about who this, who this guy was, Ishmael? Genesis 16, 12 says, He will be a wild donkey of a man. Wow. That's pretty harsh. Talking about Ishmael, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. If you go back and look at the map, Everything to the east is the Arab nations. Go research it for yourself. Um, the Arab nations and the Muslim religion, go research for yourself. Their patriarch is Ishmael. Ishmael and, as we're going to see a little bit later in Scripture, Esau. They are, they are the, the patriarchs of the, of the Arabs that, that live to the east of Israel. So you have Isaac and Ishmael, God sovereignly, in his sovereignty, not by their decision, in his sovereignty, in his foreknowledge, he chose. The scripture can't make it any clearer. In his sovereignty, he chose Isaac. He chose Isaac over Ishmael. Let's look at the second example, verse 10. Verse 10. And not only this, but there was Rebecca also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. 
for through the twins were not yet, for, excuse me, for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose is important, his sovereignty, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What we have here is the second picture, the second example of God's sovereignty, God's faithfulness. And let's look at it. Who were who Isaac's two sons? Let's get the pictures right in our head. Jacob and Esau. And it's important to note here, this was planned. It took place before they were born. Jacob, what was he chosen to do? To continue the heritage. To, to continue the lineage of the Israel people. What was Jacob's name changed to? Israel. Who was Israel the father of? The 12 tribes of Israel. He chose Jacob. Changed his name to Israel and brought forth the 12 tribes of Israel. That was how the nation of Israel, that's how the Jewish people came to be who they were. The second one, Esau. What do we know about Esau? Well, according to Scripture, he was told he would serve his younger brother. He sold his birthrights. You know, I, that really, I really had to dig into that one this week. What, is, what does that mean, he sold his birthrights? And here, here's my best thing, spiritual dynamic, that was going on within Esau when he sold his, his birthright to Jacob is this. He didn't care about his heritage. He didn't care about spiritual things. He just didn't care. And he sold his birthright for some soup. Didn't care. Jacob treasured it. Jacob loved it. Esau, who were the descendants of Esau? They're called the Edomites. And the scripture also says that they settled in the land to the east of the Jordan. Now, the, Paul is in verse 13 where he says, Just as written, Jacob I love, Esau I hated. He's quoting from Malachi 1.3. I'm going to explain that and talk about that in just a second. But first, think about where the Palestinians and the Arabs live in regards to the land of the Middle East. Malachi 1.3 says this. It sounds familiar. Malachi 1.3, talking about the Edomites and Esau. I have made his mountain a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. A, a land of barrenness, of jackals and wilderness and running and just living wild. And then we go back... Um, Genesis 16, 12. So they're living in the desert. They're living amongst the jackals of the mountains. Then you have Ishmael's verse. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of his brothers. Does that not like sound like what's going on over there with this craziness going on to the east of, of Israel? It's crazy. It's a scary place. Go to YouTube and look up some of the, uh, the drills that the Israelis go through. I was watching someone on YouTube yesterday, and 
of when the, the bombs are coming in, they have detectors that will pick it up. It'll sound the siren. And you see all these mothers and fathers running for dear life to get down into the bunkers because people are firing bombs at them. It's, it's crazy. It's a crazy place to live. Anyway, it says here, uh, let's, let's talk about this. It says, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. That's what it says. Esau I hated. Context. What's the context of Romans chapter 9? The sovereignty of God over the nation of Israel. When he says Esau I hated, he's not talking about the human emotion of love and hate that we feel in our hearts. He's talking about, uh, when he says Jacob I love, Esau I hated, he's talking about the sovereignty of God in choosing Jacob over Esau. That's what he is saying there. It is like a love-hate to be chosen, to, for Jacob to be chosen. John Walvard, Dallas Theological Seminary, I want to tell you what he says on this verse. John Walvard, he says this, The love and hate in this passage refers not to God's emotion, but to his choice of one over the other for a covenant relationship. The lineage can only come through one, and it came through Jacob. John Walvard continues, God chose Jacob to continue the family line of the faithful. God did not exclude Esau from knowing and loving him. God was not rejecting Esau's eternal salvation. He was choosing Jacob to lead the nation. This passage cannot be used to say that Ishmael, Esau, or their descendants are damned to hell. You can't use that for this. Jesus died for the Arabs just like he died for the Gentiles. If the Arab will repent and put his trust in Jesus Christ, he will be saved in the same way that you and I Gentiles are saved. Amen? Amen. It's a sovereignty thing. It's God sovereignly choosing guiding and directing his chosen people, Israel, is what the passage is talking about. This, this fighting that we see today in the West Bank, in the Gaza Strip, this is what you need to know as you're watching Fox News and MSNBC and you see this fighting. It did not start in 1948. It did not start in, in 1948. It started a long, long time ago when Ishmael and Hagar were sent out into the wilderness. And there was a friction building between her and Sarah and between the descendants. There was a, a battle beginning. This battle, this, this fighting in 1940, it started in the womb of Rebecca. As one child was coming out, the other child said, whoop, grabbed that leg, probably got scars on his heel. There was fighting within her womb. And that is why that is a biblical response to the conflict we see in the Middle East. As a pastor, as a shepherd, and the authority of God's word, as you look at that conflict, and you know we're called to have a biblical worldview, we look at the world through the eyes of the Bible. It's called having a biblical worldview. And that's what we see in that conflict taking place over there. It started a long time ago between these guys. 
What do we take home? What do we take from this message today? Just yesterday, how many of y'all know Jay Sekulow? American Center for Law and Justice. He's a pretty reputable source. He's pretty up there. I, I trust him greatly. American Center for Law and Justice reported yesterday, Jay Sekulow himself said it. He said, the UN is being funded money in preparation for a major sanction boycott against Israel because of what's going on in the, uh, in the West Bank. you got to understand this. First off, we want to be thankful for the Jewish people. We want to support Israel and everything. And thirdly, from this lesson, not only is he sovereign over Israel, but he's sovereign over our life. That should take us in 2017. But talking about the Jewish people and talking about the nation of Israel, God spoke this to Abraham, and I believe God is speaking this to us today. Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will bless those who bless you. Let's bless Israel. Let's be thankful for them. Let's support them in any way, in every way possible. Let's help them. I will curse him who curses you. There ain't no curse in Israel around here, in, in God's chosen people. And it says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed we talked about how they have blessed us. We need to be very thankful for them. Pull up the map of Israel. As you're watching the news this week, this is what they're fighting over right there. The West Bank. Everything in the news has nothing to do with this. Israel already has that. This West Bank right here, there's over 500,000 Jewish settlers in that region. But in the midst of them, it looks like a page of freckles is all these Arab settlements. And the UN, with this sanction, is saying, you 500,000 Jews, you mom, you dad, babies, children, grandma, grandpas, y'all got to leave. Where in the world are they going to go? It makes no sense that this is happening. But that, I hope this has helped you in your understanding of what's going on with Israel and the Jewish people. And from the word of God, you know, let's, let's support them. Let's pray for them. You know, we're grafted into the vine. Let's pray for them and let's love them. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this time. Father, as we've seen in your word, Father, um, you have a plan for these people. And um, Father, we just lift up Israel. We lift up what's going on over there. And um, we don't fret because you're sovereign and you're Lord of all and you're in control. But Lord, we lift up those families and those mothers and the, that are worried about their children and their families and where they're going to go and what they're going to do. We lift up the nation of Israel to you. We pray, Lord, that you strengthen them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening with us. We pray this message has been a blessing to you today. If you would like to join us during our Sunday service, we meet at 110 Hunters Village Drive in Irmo. If you need to talk to a pastor or are in need of pastoral counseling, feel free to call us at 1-803-917-8792.